Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass Pianci, and I'm joined as usual by my partner in crime, not of the criminal sort, Bennett Tomlin. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Cass? I'm doing good. It's been busy. It's been a very busy week for both of us. But today's episode is going to be about SPF's parents, the Bankmans and the Freeds, and their what appears to be increasingly important role that they each played in the criminal elements of FTX and Alameda Research. They called it a family business. They accepted incredibly large salaries. His father was getting a million dollars after requesting it because he was only getting 250000 before. Mom pushed and tr- tried to ensure that any money getting sent to the charity arm of the of the company had, you know, two steps of separation, two degrees of separation. Just really shady, weird stuff going on over there with the Bankmans and the Freeds. But those are kind of vague descriptions of what's going on. Bennett, why don't you walk us through some of the seriously criminal elements and what what is happening? There is a decent amount of allegations contained in this lawsuit from the FTX debtors in possession against Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed that at a high level, alleges that they were involved in specific aspects of the business and were closely connected to various alleged criminal acts and criminal acts people have pled guilty to. Starting with Joseph Bankman, he was involved with Alameda Research as early as 2018, which is when it was founded, and stayed involved throughout the entire time. The first several years, this appears to have been relatively informal. He directed FTX towards their first law firm, suggested their first accounting firm, was involved in consultations for hiring of certain executives and things like that. But none of this was documented in any kind of formal way. Eventually, in January 2021, he decides that there should be some kind of piece of paper that describes his relationship with these entities. And so he creates a... A document that describes his work for Alameda Research and FTX and FTX US, saying he's doing a variety of pro bono legal work and consulting work for these entities. What's interesting, of course, is that he was the signatory for the FTX entities and for himself on this entity. Really has kind of vibes of that loan agreement between Bitfinex and Tether years ago where JLVDV and uh, Juan Carlo were signing for both entities. And so that was one moment that really struck me as I was going through that is, is that he felt the need to, after providing advice for several years, finally in 2021 documents it and says he's providing this pro bono legal advice. This did not stay pro bono for very long. Later in 2021, he would take a leave of absence from Stanford University. And after he took this leave of absence, he allegedly told an FTX US employee, I'm no longer getting paid by Stanford because I'm on leave. So you should have me on salary starting December 1st. In December 2021, this is when he finally entered into a formal employment agreement with FTX US, where his nominal title was senior advisor to the FTX Foundation. You said it was 250000 It was actually $200,000 a year, plus bonuses he was supposed to be getting paid. And this is where we get to the fun part that you made an allusion to before. He went to FTX's head of administration after signing this employment agreement that clearly said 200 k told this person that he was supposed to be getting $1 million a year starting in December, and then... He sends an email over to Sam Bankman-Fried, his son, that says, and I quote, 
Gee, Sam, I don't know what to say here. This is the first I've heard of the $200,000 a year salary. Putting Barbara on this, meaning he CC'd in Sam Bankman-Fried's mother and his domestic partner to help him deal with this contract negotiations that happened after he signed that contract. And it worked. It worked. Within two weeks, Bankman and Freed were gifted $10 million in funds originating from Alameda. Within three months, they ended up getting their $16 million mansion in the Bahamas, funded entirely by FTX. And over the period after they got that mansion, they were able to expense something like $90,000 in uh, various other expenses. And before... He signed that contract agreement in December 2021. I do want to make clear he was also provided with an option to purchase shares of FTX US and FTX Trading in November 2021. Before he was even employed with FTX, he was getting uh, large options of shares. So yeah, I think that kind of is a good initial overview, and we can get into some of the details he was also involved in, but they were receiving a lot of this type of monetary compensation. Yeah, well, I want to specifically bring up here some things that really made a red flag go off for me were, for instance, how they were keen to keep the residencies, the properties that they were acquiring with these gifted funds and all this money that they were essentially taking from customers, let's be clear on that, that they wanted to ensure that that money and those properties would be shielded from a bankruptcy. And I'm just wondering, like, why, if they're so confident in this business, if they're so confident in their son, if they're so sure this is the future of finance, and I get it, you wanna shield your personal property from a bankruptcy, but you just got gifted $10 million. You have to know this isn't, this isn't exactly personal property, right? Like you have to know your son is giving this to you. Your son is making money from the company. How is he making all of this money? You haven't really nailed that down yet. And you still are just letting this all transpire. Nobody was asking any questions is kind of what I'm getting to. But the questions they were asking were about like ensuring that they were shielded from any problems in the future. Yeah. And we should clarify the timeline a little bit here. There's a 2021 email exchange where FTX's general counsel wants to set up a meeting with their law firm to discuss how assets, including primary residents, can be structured to be bankruptcy mm -hmm. remote. And Bankman quickly kind of responds in this email chain the next day and says, it would be great, all else equal, if we could have the founders put money into property in the Bahamas and sent them a link to a description of an offshore trust structure in the Bahamas. He then discusses this with a lawyer in the Bahamas, another Stanford law professor and his brother-in-law, and then ends up saying something we might use when we buy property in the Bahamas. And the reason I'm belaboring this point is because it happens, I think, about a year before they actually end up getting the house. And then five months before they get the house, there's another thing that happens, and that's that they apply for residency in the Bahamas, permanent residency in the Bahamas. In order for them to get that, there's a $15,000 fee. That's also paid by FTX. And so I think what that kind of shows is this kind of series of planning that went into them eventually getting this mansion. They started discussing how to structure this about a year before, and I don't think they ended up using those trusts, at least not at the time of bankruptcy. They were had already gotten their residency months before they got the property, and then they got the property. They wanted to benefit from this. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there is no doubt. I, I just want to be clear, and we're going to link to the... Um 
very thorough Protos article that goes over all of this. But it is very obvious. I think before we get to the crux of this, I first want to delve into this a little bit more. So Stanford yesterday decided that they were going to return all of the donated funds from this family, which amounted to $5.5 million, which is a lot. I mean, I know that they get a shit, a metric shit ton of cash every year, but the idea that they're getting $5.5 million in a single year from one family, one company, you know, essentially one family. That's how you get your name on a building and stuff like that. So they were donating a ton of money to this educational institution. All I want to say is that I think Stanford is disgusting. I think we see this in a bunch of these higher education, these private institutions, probably equally common in great college universe or great public universities as well. But the ones that we hear about are like MIT or Harvard or Stanford accepting money from Jeffrey Epstein or accepting money from these guys. And 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 then, oh, OK, you're returning it. Great. Well, you, you know why you're returning it? Because you got caught. That's why you're returning it. You're not returning it because you thought it was the right thing to do. Now that it's all coming out in these court documents, Stanford's giving the money back. They didn't do it one minute before that happened, though. Isn't that interesting? And I, I, you know, I think you should get into kind of the details of those donations, which there were there were many over this period. But like, oh, what a nasty, nasty way for a university to operate. I think the elite private colleges are at a special risk for kind of this because so much of their like existing structures based around taking in cash in a, and converting it to some vague elite authority. Speaking specifically about the donations from FTX to Stanford that appear to have been directed by Joseph Bankman, there was one that came from Paperbird directly to Stanford University. And this one was interesting because there was a lot of discussion about which entity to use. And what Bankman ends up saying is that he thought it should come from Paperbird, which was one of the entities that Sam Bankman-Fried owned that held most of the stock for FTX that investors were buying into. His, the, struck, the corporate structure of FTX is a mindfuck. But this shows Bankman was aware of parts of the mindfuck. He says uh, Paperbird can use the deduction. And he, when he discusses alternatives, he says we can have another entity loan Paperbird money, but that requires some paperwork. Eventually, they get it all sorted out. FTX transfers money to Paperbird into a newly set up bank account, which immediately sends that money on to Stanford. There was another $4 million donation to a Stanford fund for pandemic preparedness that he described as pretty much a no-brainer. Bitcoin were transferred from Alameda Research's FTX account eventually. There was another series of donations where it was proposed that they give $1.5 million from the FTX foundation to Stanford College. However, the initial 500000 for this came from an Alameda Research bank account, and the second 500000 came from an FTX US bank account. There was another donation they did for a Stanford blockchain conference so they could sponsor it. That one was only 10K. But again, it kind of points towards how Bankman saw these entities as interchangeable. He said 10K is so little, it doesn't really matter. So if we think that having FTX US is easier or safer for some reason, we should just do that. And what's most interesting is you talked about your name on a building, and there was a Stanford University employee who provided comment as part of this lawsuit. And this Stanford University employee apparently says that internally in Stanford, these donations were categorized as directed by the Bankman Freeds. And like when they specifically got the big $4 million pandemic preparedness donation from Alameda, this person even reached out, should this one be categorized like the rest 
as from you all, or is this one somehow different? And so, yeah, I think that those donations kind of point towards how they were specifically using these commingled customer and client funds from across all these different entities in this self-promotional activity of giving these donations. Yep. There's more to where this money went, how much was spent, why they were in control of this. But I think the question that everybody wants to ask and is wondering about is how are they not being criminally charged with anything yet? And will they? I think we should hold off on that question for just a moment, because I want to talk about how Joseph Bankman also made sure other people he was related to and friends with got paid while he was in this position, because I think that's kind of fun. They talk about one example where he got a Stanford Law student a free trip to the French Grand Prix tickets to the race so they could go and visit that. But I think the more interesting one was a hackathon that they had planned that was run by his sister, Bankman Freed, Sam's aunt. They hired her at a rate of $14,000 a month to prepare the FTX Million Dollar Hackathon and Crypto Summit held at the Miami Heat Arena, which was the one they put their name on briefly. They spent a total of $2.3 million on this event, which was attended by 1,200 people. Mm. They were spending crazy amounts They said she was authorized to spend, like, without a budget, whatever it was needed to get this event done. There was so much of this kind of, like, self-enrichment here that we'll get to your question as to how are they not being criminally charged. That's just grift. Yeah, obviously. The other person we need to talk about, of course, is Barbara. Barbara Freed, Sam Bankman Freed's mother, and her specific role. She, as you alluded to at the very beginning of this episode, described herself as her son's partner in crime of the non-criminal sort. And Sam made sure to sing her praises to his team, making known to her that he intended to rely on her direction regarding who to give to, how much to give to, and how it should be disclosed, and told them that it would be good for them to follow her advice as well. And what seems really interesting is she seemed to have a great deal of control. The lawsuit even alleges she was able to unilaterally commit funds of Sam Bankman-Fried's to her political action committee, Mind the Gap. Meaning without Sam's authorization, she was able to take Sam's money donated in Sam's name to her political action committee, which is a great deal of trust. And even inside her own committee, when she had to talk about some of these donations, she would say things like, I don't know exactly what interconnected entity he sent the money from. But the business is real and revenue generating, which, again, I think points towards kind of the interchangeability of these entities for these folks. What I think really gets interesting is Nishad Singh, who has already pled guilty for conspiracy to defraud the Federal Election Committee, as well as a variety of other conspiracy charges. He was one of the people who appears to have served as effectively a straw man donor for Sam Bankman Freed and was advised in this process by Barbara Freed, Sam's mother. At one point when they were discussing donations to her organization, Mind the Gap, and she suggested that now that my connection to Sam is publicly known, because we don't want to create the impression that funding MTG is a family affair, as opposed to a collective effort by many people, including some mystery guy Nishad Singh, which is when she was suggesting that 
on their end, they would prefer if his name was the one that was donating to Mind the Gap instead of Sam Bankman-Fried's. And similarly, she was worried about a lot of their political donations. There's a really telling one where she's warning him in an email. One of these days soon, some reporter is going to think to look more closely at FEC reports, do a search for donations by company, and just reframe this as the FTX juggernaut rather than the SBF juggernaut, or even worse, suggest you are using Nishad slash Carolyn as fronts. And again, later, just the last one to really put kind of a cherry on top of her seeming knowledge of some of the criminal acts that Nishad Singh has pled guilty to. She said, I would counsel strongly against giving in a disclosed form under your own name. And continued further in that email, you could get Nishad or Carolyn to contribute to the pack some of the total amount you are willing to give. But that has its own costs and risks. And I think this, as well as some of like the more specific tax advice that Bankman was giving FTX on their specific finances and stuff like that, point towards potential knowledge of criminal acts. I tweeted out shortly after I read through this lawsuit, or as I was about halfway through reading this lawsuit, if I'm being honest, uh, Stanford law professors desperately Googling what to do if I'm an unindicted co-conspirator. And as you alluded to previously, that is kind of what this feels like. It feels like these two law professors who should have known better had high-level knowledge of things that people have already pled guilty to and were deeply involved in the business. Bankman specifically was even mentioned on an internal document as a member of the management of FTX US, along with only a few other names. They had knowledge, they were inside the organization, and they had some amount of presence. One last thing that I think really hammers that home. When we went to consensus, and we talked about this in our episode that we did after that, Anthony Scaramucci was talking about his experiences in the lead up to and aftermath of the FTX collapse. And one thing he said that seemed to be corroborated in the lawsuit is that Bankman was involved in them attempting to get the emergency funding. And as we said, and we shared the audio clip of Scaramucci saying it, Bankman apparently told Anthony Scaramucci, or intimated to him, that there was an asset liability mismatch at FTX. What happened to me is I was actually speaking in Sarasota, Florida. Um, there was rumblings that day. I think it was November the 6th or something like that, um, or 7th. The Monday was the 7th. And then I, I got back to New York and I spoke to Sam's dad about the problem, and it was intimated to me that it was a uh, an asset liability mismatch, that they were meeting redemptions and there were assets available, but they weren't necessarily liquid, and they needed time to get the liquidity, and they were looking for some rescue financing. And so at that time, I was uh, you know, a good citizen and a, a partner in the business. In fact, they owned a piece of my business. I was certainly trying to help them on their fundraising round. Um, and then I talked to his dad later in the day. How much money were they? Um, well, they were they're talking about, and I, I've said this before, they were talking about a billion dollars. Okay. Uh, which seemed, you know, a lot of money, but certainly would be manageable in the context of the size of the business. But later in the evening, that number went from a billion to four and a half billion. And then I said, okay, that's obviously a problem. And it's a bigger problem than they want to admit to. And so I made the decision that evening. I got on my phone, I booked myself a JetBlue flight down to the Bahamas, 
and I wanted to see for myself what was going on. You know, listen, I, I put my name and reputation at stake. I introduced Sam to a lot of people. Uh, Brett and I, one short year ago, and I believe you were there with us, we had Crypto Bahamas at the Bahamar Hotel. Uh, Brett and I organized a dinner for the likes of Tony Blair and Bill Clinton and a whole host of uh, luminaries one short year ago. You fast forward, it's sort of still hard to believe that we're where we are right now. And so I need to, needed to see it for myself. And so I went down there and I would say that the war room was despondent. And this was an exchange that should have no duration issues. That means for at least several days before FTX declared bankruptcy, at least according to Scaramucci's version of the story, and the lawsuit also alleges he was down there and part of those talks to get emergency fundraising, he knew FTX was insolvent. Yep. I don't know what's going to happen, right? I want to clarify, as usual, that we're not lawyers. We don't pretend to be. We um, aren't going to suggest that we would have any better idea of what's going to happen with any of this than anyone else. What's being described sounds like fraud. It sounds like a breach of fiduciary duties. It sounds like fraud. It sounds like criminal. And I don't know how that plays out. We're going to get an idea based on how the co-defendants in the FTX Alameda stuff who have already pled, what happens to them? I don't know yet. Nobody knows. I can presume they're going to get a lot less time than SBF. I really believe that. I don't know if it'll be true. We're going to find out. My belief is strongly that they will see a significantly less amount of time in prison if they get prison time at all. Outside of Sam Trabuco, who we still haven't heard from, I think he when he does decide to appear, we'll be doing a lot of time in prison. We should add, in the interest of a journalistic fairness, that lawyers for Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed issued a statement to several outlets where they say, these allegations are nonsense. That house we lived in and referred to our as our house and that was paid by FTX funds was in no way criminal or fraudulent, well, yada, yada, yada. And then they throw in some stuff about how uh, John Ray is wasting all this money and this is a distraction. This is meant to inflame people right before our son goes on trial. And so some version of that is their statement. And that's that's the liberty I'll give it. And we've talked about this before as well. They already put it down in writing. They can say whatever they want now. I don't really fucking care if they deny it. You sent the emails, guys. You sent the emails. You literally put it in writing. The one thing you shouldn't They're do. Out of context, Cass. Yeah, out of context. My fat ass, dude. We've said it before. I don't know. If you're going to do crime like this uh, on this level, if you're going to be doing, you know, moving tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at a time in the name of, you know, crime. I mean, sorry, um, not of the not of the criminal sort. But if you're going to be doing this, don't write it down. It's super simple. Do a phone call. I Like, why wouldn't you do a phone call instead? Idiots. You guys are law professors? Are you what if the I, lines like, are tapped? I, right. I don't know, man. I, these guys are law professors. It's hard to believe, but it makes you question everything. And this is this is the last point I want to make. It makes you question everything. These guys had crazy reputations in Silicon Valley and and the education world, right? Upper education world. They they were well known for their for their essays and their their statements about tax law and and freed particularly about criminals and you know treating them correctly and all, all this stuff. It didn't take that much money for them to completely give up their reputation and do the exact opposite of what they'd been teaching. For decades. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, and it's not just them. 
And, and, and I hope people realize that like, it just makes you question everything so much more because who, who, who are you going to rely on now? People are going to throw away their decades long reputations in academia and everything that they once stood for, for some millions of dollars and some property. I mean, that is, that says something. And, and I don't know if that's an American societal issue. If it's a global issue, I don't know, man, but it, it's troubling to me. There's certainly issues with many of the elites in America. I think both Joseph Bank and, and Barbara Freed spent a lot of time around people who were richer than them, who they thought they were smarter than, mm. and had at some level a belief that this was finally their chance to be both smart and rich. <laughs> Warped. Warped and sad and certainly a statement on the, the, the way academia, higher education in America works, especially at these private institutions. It's super sad and super corrupt. And if you want to stop that, if you want to do something about, you know, if you want to do something to stop this kind of gross academia stuff, this fraud, donate to Cascoin, guys. It's super simple. Anyway, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Remember, hit the like and subscribe button and all that stuff. I hate it when people say it, but I, I know I have to. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.